Hi. Hi. I'm super happy to see you guys. Thanks for coming out to church today. Um, this is a special time of year for us as Christians. This is a, a really important time of year. It's a, it's a sacred time of year for us as Christians because we're counting down the days to the resurrection of our Savior. And so Sunday morning, I hope that you will join us at Ranger Stadium at 10 o'clock and we're gonna celebrate Jesus and his resurrection and the resurrection life that he gives us. So I hope you'll find somebody to bring with you and join us at Ranger Stadium on Sunday morning. Um, today is the day that Christians typically call Good Friday. And that is a day that we remember all the events leading up to and the actual crucifixion of Jesus. And that coincides with a very sacred time of year for the Jewish people as well, because it's right when they celebrate their holiest holiday, Passover. And every year they celebrate with a special meal. And some people call this meal the Seder, and that just means the order. And so they eat this meal in a specific order, and as they do it, it tells a story, and it commemorates God's um, choosing them as his people and saving them and redeeming them and bringing them out of slavery in, in Egypt and into the promised land, and it reminds them of who they are as God's people. And uh, a couple thousand years ago, when Jesus came onto the scene, um, God's people had already been celebrating this really holy, special holiday with this really special, symbolic, holy meal. They'd already been doing that for about 13 or 1400 years. And every year, it was the same, and it was passed down from generation to generation, and they still do it today. So in the biblical story, we know that this week um, that was leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus was a super crazy week for Jesus. Um, on Sunday, he had uh, ridden into town, into Jerusalem, on a donkey, and you probably remember the story. Last week, your kids all came home with those palm leaves, uh, right, because they threw the palm leaves. It was like a ticker tape parade for him, right? They laid down the palm trees, and they cried out, Hosanna, God save us, and they treated Jesus like a hero. They treated him like a king, and man, it was all good on Sunday. And then Monday, there was an incident where Jesus went to the temple and where he thought he would find people praying and worshiping and honoring God. Instead, he found people taking advantage of other people and trying to make money off of other people. And they were selling uh, the animals to be used for sacrifices and like jacking up the prices and everything. And Jesus just went off on them. And the Bible says he got a whip and there was like livestock in there. He started like chasing all the animals out with this whip and then he goes and like turns over all their tables and makes this big scene and he's calling them out for their hypocrisy. And you know, the religious leaders already didn't like Jesus. But after that, man, they, were, they hated him. They, they hated him and they started looking for a way that they could kill him. And so Jesus knows, you know, what's going on and he knows that he's about to be killed and he's already told his disciples that he's gonna be killed. In fact, he's told them a couple of times. But it seems like they didn't like get it or they didn't follow him or something like that. Um, so he told them he was gonna die, but what he hadn't explained to them is the why. He hadn't really explained to them the reason that he was gonna be dying. And he hadn't, he hadn't talked to them about what his death means. 
And, and he could have told them, he could have just straight out told them, he could have told them in a sermon, he could have told them a parable or something, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they didn't think they would get it or something, so instead, he decided to explain it to them in a really cool way, I think, using the Passover meal as like an illustration. And his timing was perfect because it was time for the Passover. In fact, there's actually pretty good evidence that he did this specific, his specific Passover meal a little early just because he knew he didn't have much time left. So if you can kind of get the scene, it's, it's time for the Passover. Jesus knows it's, it's the week, man. It's, it's fixing to happen. And let's just kind of pick up this story. This is gonna be in Luke chapter 22 and verse seven. It says, now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. So this is, the, this is the Passover season. And you have to know at this point, Jerusalem is packed. It's like, it's like the final fours in town, right? Every restaurant is booked, every hotel is booked, everything is crowded and packed. Verse eight, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and he said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. And they said, well, where do you want us to prepare the meal? And he replied, as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. And at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up, and that is where you should prepare our meal. And so, yeah, they went off to the city, and they found just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So this is, to me, really a cool story. Um, you have to know Jesus is a wanted man right now, right? So his poster is on, like, every post office in Jerusalem, right? And they, they're trying to get him, and, and he's, he's wanted. He's, his life is in danger. And so he can't just, like, waltz into Jerusalem and, you know, rent a room at Gennaro's or something to have Passover. So it's all done on the down low. Right, everything is done, and I think this is funny. It's like it's like they're spies or something. The disciples don't even know who they're going to go meet. He he, it's like a code. He tells them, find the man carrying a pitcher, and follow him. It's like Mission Impossible or something. And then they even use secret code words. He says, tell the owner. The teacher asks, where is the guest room? <laughs> is that funny? It's like. <laughs> The blue falcon flies north at dawn, right? It's like this secret. And then when they get there, the, the, Jesus has already prearranged and the room's already set up. Even the disciples didn't know what was up. And again, possibly, probably, because it was too dangerous for them to know because the religious leaders are coming for Jesus and, and he knows that his time is short. So verse 14, when the time finally comes, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And now we know that they didn't really sit down at high tables and chairs like we have. They sat uh, on really low tables, like this one right here. In fact, probably a better translation of this would be to say they reclined together at a table. And so um, that's what I'm gonna do. And if you're okay, we're gonna do something a little weird. Who's up for something weird? Remember, whenever I say that, raise your hand, okay? Get ready. Who's up for something weird? Oh, good. Okay, and so um, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of kind of reenact a first century Passover meal, a Seder, kind of similar maybe to the one that Jesus and his disciples had on the night 
that he was betrayed. And so first, my disclaimers. Um, I'm not an expert on Jewish tradition or on the Haggadah, and um, a lot has changed over the last couple of thousand years ago till now, and, and several things have been maybe added to the original cedar, and, and probably a lot of things, a lot of those changes have probably come since Jesus did it that night. And, and then also, even now, some groups do it a little bit differently than other groups, and so what we're gonna have is a very basic, kind of stripped-down version of the Passover meal. Um, the, it, it would normally take like two hours, or three hours, or four hours, and we're gonna do ours in about 20 minutes. Um, so we're not gonna get everything in. Um, we're gonna call ours a mini Seder, or uh, Passover Ito. So if you, know, if, I, if you think it's out of order or you think we've left out a key element or something like that, then please send an email to Kurt at mycbcb.com tonight. I mean, don't even wait. Do it tonight. Um, so I, I hate to eat by myself and I hate to drink by myself. So I'm gonna need um, a couple of volunteers that are... Um, brave eaters, and you have to be physically capable of reclining on the floor and getting back up <laughs> when it's over. Any volunteers? And we're gonna be drinking wine. Oh, that got the hands up right there. And I, okay, so who, I need, uh, let me get a man and a woman. I'll pick somebody out if you don't, yes, come on up, come on up. I need a man. That didn't sound very good, did it? I, uh, I can't see who you are, but come on up. Yes, you. Come on up. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming. Say, come on up. Come over here. Good to see you. Um, you can have this one. But first, tell us your name. Jennifer. Jennifer. And tell us your name. Tyler. Tyler. Kyler. Kyler. Kyler and Jennifer. Kyler, thanks for volunteering. So, yeah, let's, um, let's recline. Let me move this table kind of a little over to the side. And <laughs> comfy, right? Yeah. So yeah, let me just see if I can do it. And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to. Kyler, you may have to help me up when we're done. <laughs> see how this goes. <laughs> see how this goes. Got my chiropractor on hold just in case. Uh, so a, don't look yet. Don't start anticipating. It's the worst thing you can do. Uh, so, uh, and that smell, don't even let that get in your mind right now. Uh, so a huge part of the Seder meal and uh, most Jewish traditions is good wine. And so well, I'm gonna pour us. Cotter, how old are you? <laughs> no reason, just wondering. 16, 16 that's okay. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just juice. It's just juice. Or is it? <laughs> so, yeah, so there's our wine. So, yeah, on the night that this all went down, Jesus got his disciples together just like this, and they sat down, and... Like I said earlier, they'd been doing this for 1,400 years, right? And so they've been through this meal every year of their life since they were babies, and so they know the routine. It's always the same. It's in the same order. They do the same thing, and so they know the very first thing Jesus is supposed to do is say this certain blessing that they always say. It's called the Kiddush, and they knew that he was gonna say that, but because that's what we always do. That's what we always do. That's what we always do, but um, in Luke 22:15, Jesus goes off script, and they're gathered around waiting for this prayer to begin, and Jesus says, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. And I'm telling you now that I won't eat this meal again 
until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so now the disciples are probably kind of freaking out at that point because they know what the Passover is, right? The Passover is about the past. The Passover is remembering what happened in Egypt and the Exodus, and that's why we celebrate the Passover. The Passover is about what God did for our ancestors when he took them out of Egypt. And so Jesus is saying that it's going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Like, what could he possibly be thinking about? And so Jesus is about to change the meaning and the significance of this event forever. So now he blesses the wine. And I'm gonna ask you guys to participate with us. So you guys, if you would, take your wine in your hand and we're going to read this little blessing. It's gonna be on the sign behind me there. Say it with me, may you be blessed. Lord our God, king of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. So let's take a drink, only take a little because we gotta pace ourselves. No, don't take yours yet. Sorry, guys, you gotta wait. Uh, okay, so the next element, the, now you gotta hold that the whole time, right? Sorry. Okay, so the next element that we're gonna talk about is called the dipping of the karpas. And so karpas is a Hebrew word, it just means vegetable. And so it can be lettuce or it can be celery or parsley or something. And then the other element of that is water. So you have a little bowl there that's got water in it and you can see that it also has a ton of salt in it. Yeah, and so um, why do we dip the karpas? And there's a lot of different interpretations of that. Um, the oldest one that I can find um, is about Joseph. And so this is gonna be kind of the story of how God's people ended up in slavery in Egypt. Um, so Joseph, okay, so we'll start with um, Abraham. So Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, and he had a very favorite son. What was his name? Joseph. How do you know he was a favorite? He had the coat of many colors. And so Joseph uh, apparently was kind of a jerk um, to his brothers, and they hated him. And so they decided that they were gonna kill him. And they threw him in a hole. And then you know, they grew a conscience or something while he was in there. And they said, no, 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 don't kill him, he's our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. So there happened to be some slave traders going by on their way down to Egypt. And so they sold their brother as a slave to these people going into Egypt. And now what are they gonna tell dad, right? His favorite son. And so they said, let's tell dad that an animal ate him. And so they took his coat of many colors and they dipped it in lamb's blood and then they showed it to dad. Oh, I don't know, I guess an animal got him or something. And so we dipped the carpas. If you would take your little, just take a piece of lettuce and we're gonna like, I've never done this. So we're gonna like stir it around a lot because we wanna get all of that salt up there so it tastes super bad. <laughs> okay? And so this is, this, is, this is helping us to remember the story of how our people ended up down in Egypt in slavery. So let's, ready? Do it together, yeah? One, two, three, go. Oh, God. <laughs> you like it? Yeah, it's really good, really good. I already hate salad, I didn't need that. Um, so, wow. Um, it's really salty. It is. So this idea kind of is, if you've ever bit your lip or something and get a little blood in your mouth, it tastes like salt, right? And so this is just reminding us 
of the bitter story of how our people ended up going down to Egypt and ending up in slavery. So at this point in our meal, um, we would allow questions from the children. And so there's like these prescribed questions, and I added one. And um, so you guys are already doing all the work. We'll let them be the children. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We'll put the questions up there, but don't read them all together like in unison. You're a bunch of bratty kids, right? So just read them all. Somebody read the last one first, and somebody read the middle one first, and read them really loud and be really rude and obnoxious like a kid uh, when you read these things. Okay, we'll put put them up there, Matt. Okay, go. <laughs> that one came out clear. Um, um, thank you for asking. Those are really good questions. Um, so now to answer the questions, the dad or the grandpa or the rabbi or whoever would kind of really briefly just tell the story. And this would take about two hours to tell. And it's going to take me about two minutes to tell. So we start with our ancestor, Abraham, who was called by God. And God told Abraham that he was going to bless him, and he was going to bless him with this huge family, and that he was going to bless the world through this family. And through that thing we talked about with Joseph being sold into slavery, Abraham's family ends up going down to Egypt. And man, they did great down there because by that time, Joseph was like the vice president, so they had a lot of political influence or something. And they thrived and they grew and things were really going super good for them and their family was getting bigger and bigger and growing and they were prospering and everything was going great in Egypt. And then after a time, Joseph died and that Pharaoh died. And then the Bible tells us in Exodus that after a time, a king came to power in Egypt that didn't remember Joseph. And he forgot about their friendships that they had. And he started looking around and he said, man, these Israelites are growing like crazy. There's more of them than there are of us. And so if we're not careful, I mean, what if we have like an uprising or if our enemies attack and they join them or something? So we got to do something. And so they said, well, we got to crush them. We just have to crush them. And so they made the Israelites into their slaves and they were horrible to them and they oppressed them and they made them do all of the work and terrible work. And then to make sure that the population stopped, they enacted a law that said anytime a little Israelite boy was born, they had to take that boy and throw him in the Nile River. And so it was this just horrible existence for God's people. And so they cried out to God help us, rescue us, save us, and get us out of here. And God sent them uh, a leader, somebody to to help them and to to walk them out of there. And what was his name? Moses. And so through Moses, God, God sent Moses to Pharaoh, and he said, hey, God says, let my people go. But Pharaoh wouldn't. And so kind of systematically, God began to send these plagues. And he was really really enacting justice against the injustice that Pharaoh had brought on the Israelites. And so there was all the water turned to blood and then everybody got boils and they had flies and gnats and frogs and all kinds of horrible stuff happened. And then finally the last plague was super, super terrible. And when that one finally happened, 
then Pharaoh said, okay, you know what, just go. And so, yeah, Moses led them out of Egypt and across the desert and into the promised land. And so then to celebrate the telling of the story, um, before we take some more wine, um, we recite a little poem. And this poem is from Psalm 113. So remember, you guys are participating. So it's gonna be like a call, respond, okay? So if I can see the screen in the back, I will. Uh, I'll do the leader part and you guys all do the all part. But say it loud and say it proud, okay? Here we go. Praise Yahweh. From the place where the sun rises to the place where it goes down. For Yahweh is high above the nations. Who can be compared with Yahweh our God who is enthroned on high? So now we take the cup and again we say our blessing. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who bring forth the fruit of the vine. And we drink this. So as I said, some like additional elements have probably been added to the Seder over the last couple thousand years. Um, I was thinking about it this week. Um, like Christmas morning at our house, we have a lot of traditions. And we think, well, they're always the same. They're always the same. And like at our house, things have been added a little bit, probably at your house too. So at our house on Christmas morning, we all wear matching pajamas and we all, the kids get presents stacked up taller than them and half of those gifts are electronics, right? And we sing certain songs and we eat a lot of waffles and we watch these certain movies and we do the same things all the time. But I'm thinking if my great-grandmother were to show up on Christmas morning, she wouldn't even recognize it, right? Because they probably got like fruit, right? They probably like a penny, right? nuts or something, right? And so if that's what's happened to my Christmas tradition over oh, 150 years, 100 years, then you can probably guess that over the last couple thousand years, there's probably been a couple of things that have been kind of added to this. And so to know what we're gonna do, uh, we're going to appeal to a higher power, um, to a rabbi named Gamaliel. And you probably know Gamaliel because he was a really famous rabbi and he's even in the Bible and he had a really famous student named Saul of Tarsus, who later became known as Paul, who ended up writing about half of the New Testament. And so Gamaliel was the rabbi that Paul learned under. And so he was super well respected and well thought of. And Rabbi Gamaliel said that to have an authentic Passover meal, you have to have three things. You have to have the unleavened bread, you have to have the bitter herb, and you have to have the lamb. So let's start with the unleavened bread. You wanna show them our bread? There it is. Um, as you can see, it's like super thin. Um, it's unleavened, so what does that mean? Yeah, there's no yeast in it. And so, like if you make bread at home, you make the dough and it's flat, but it's got yeast in it, and so you let it rise. And so it sits there for three, four, five hours, and it gets puffier and puffier and soft and fluffy and all that stuff, and then we eat it. But um, they didn't have time to do that because they took a whole nation of people out of Egypt in a night. And so they didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. And so here's the passage. This is gonna be from Exodus 12, 39. It says, for bread they baked flat cakes from the dough without yeast, 
that they brought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry that they had no time to prepare the bread or rather food. And so in this meal, in the Seder during Passover, ever since then, right, for 1400 years, the dad or whoever was leading the thing would then take his bread and he would say, this is the unleavened bread. And it reminds us of what happened in Egypt. They didn't have time to let the dough rise. And he goes through that whole thing. And so when Jesus sits the guys down at their table, they're, they're sure that's exactly what he's going to say because that's what they always say. So he knew he, they were, they knew he was going to say, okay, this bread represents that night. And so Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it like every other Passover for 1400 years. Um, let's bless it together, you guys. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And so they think, okay, here it comes. He's going to say that part about the Exodus and the yeast and all that stuff. But then Jesus goes off script again in Luke 22, 19. After he gives thanks for the bread, he breaks a bed in pieces. So let's take a piece of this bread. And he gives a piece to each of the disciples. And he said, this is, and they're all going like this. Oh, yeah, I know. Go ahead. I know, I know, it's the, it's the Passover deal, right? I know, I know, just say it. It's the yeast thing, right? Just say it. And Jesus instead says, this is my body, which is given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And so again, the disciples had to be flipping out. What, what's, he, what's he talking about? It's supposed to be about the Passover. It's supposed to be about the exodus. It's supposed to be about the past. It's supposed to be about our ancestors leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. But Jesus is saying, no, this ancient tradition, this, 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 the significance of the bread is changing tonight. And bread is a symbol of life, right? And so somehow Jesus is saying, that the death of his body, the brokenness of his body is gonna bring life to them. And so even though they were stunned, I'm sure they took the bread. So let's take a little of the bread. How's my crunching sound to you guys? Pretty good? Um, how'd you like it? Pretty rough, right? What'd you think? Yeah, so very plain. Well, I'm glad you said that because um, it's fixing to get a lot worse. Okay, so the next thing we're going to talk about is called the bitter herb. Remember, there's three things we have to have. We have to have the unleavened bread, we have to have the bitter herb, we have to have the lamb. And so the bitter herb, um, the, the, the Jewish word is maror. Let me hear you say maror. Yeah, and it just means it's a bitter herb. And so you guys, I'm going to need you to sign waivers later because um, this stuff tastes like super awful. Um, and it it is designed, it's supposed to make you cry. That's what it's, that's what it's, it's maror, it's the bitter herb. It's like um, eating a ghost peppers or something, you know. Um, so like, why, why would anybody do that, you know? Why would we eat something that we know tastes horrible? Why would we eat something that we know tastes so bitter? And the reason we would do that is it helps us remember the bitterness of the life that our ancestors lived while they were in slavery. Exodus 1.11 says, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves and they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. And the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy and they made their lives marar, bitter. 
forcing them to work, to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. So they ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites. They killed their children. They killed their children. And they were just horrible to them and they made them do all that work. They, when they took their sons away, they, they deleted their future and they just ground them to nothing and they just crushed them under the weight of the slavery and they made their lives bitter. And so in this meal, we choose to remember and we choose to participate and we choose to cry over that bitterness. So, I mean, that's as long as I can stall. Um, Let's just take a piece of our lettuce stuff here. And this is, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's horseradish, okay? Um, and so horseradish is pretty awful. And so I, just to kind of kill the taste, I put just a little bit of gasoline in there. <laughs> it just, it's just it's a little bit better than, okay, so put a little on there. Pace yourself. Be smart now. People are watching. E- easy, big fella. <laughs> okay. Medical team ready? Okay. I'm just, just give me a second. Okay, here we go. One, two, three, go. What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> he likes it. <laughs> give me some more. Uh, yeah, a little shrimp would go a long way. Um, so... The three key ingredients of the Passover meal are the unleavened bread and the bitter herb and the lamb. And so we're streaming this, and I probably have lettuce in my teeth right now. Isn't that awful? Um, so the lamb, let's, let's talk about the lamb. And so the whole story of the Passover is what this is about. This is, this is to remember the night of the actual Passover. And so remember, God's people were in slavery, and Moses had gone to Pharaoh, and, and through Moses, God had enacted these plagues, right? These acts of justice against the injustice of Pharaoh, and these, 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 these acts of judgment against Egypt, and they were each one terrible and each one awful, but Pharaoh, his heart, the Bible says, was hard. He would not do it, and so finally God brought about the worst, the most terrible plague that was ever gonna happen. And what he did was God sent the death angel into Egypt. And one night, the angel went into every house and killed the firstborn son in that family. And that was the judgment against what Pharaoh had done to the people of Israel. And obviously that was horrifying to everybody, but God, unlike Pharaoh, provided a means of escape. He provided a a way that they could be spared. And the way that they could be spared is God had told his people to take a lamb, an unblemished, perfect lamb, no broken bones, no disease, a perfect little lamb, and bring it into their house for seven days. And then on the seventh day, the day of this meal, they were to cut its throat. And they would capture the blood and they would take some of that blood and they would paint it on the doorpost of their house. I think we have a picture of that. You've probably seen a picture like that. They're painting that blood on the doorpost of the house. And that night, 
when the death angel was going from house to house, if he came to a house that was covered by the blood of the lamb, they were spared. If he came to a house that had blood on the door, then he would pass over that house. So judgment was coming, but they could escape judgment under the blood of the lamb. So as you can imagine, to God's people, the lamb and his blood had been like the centerpiece of this meal and this celebration and of, of God's promise for, for hundreds of years. But look what Jesus said that night. It's Luke twenty two twenty. After supper, he took another cup of wine, so they've eaten, and he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's the new covenant between God and his people, and it's an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out for you as a sacrifice. Not, not the blood of the lamb, my blood. And it's poured out not for your ancestors, but for you. So again, Jesus is taking this ancient symbol of salvation and of deliverance and this, this, this holy thing, the blood of this perfect lamb, and now he's saying, yeah, tonight there's a new covenant. There's, there's a new means of escape from judgment, and this covenant is gonna be sealed with his blood poured out as a sacrifice. And this is why we see in 1 Corinthians that Paul calls Jesus our Passover lamb. And this is why we see all the language in the Bible about the crucifixion, Jesus didn't have broken bones and all that. He was an unblemished lamb. And this is why John the Baptist, when he was pointing Jesus out to the disciples, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus, again, I think probably really shocked them with this thing. They were all about the lamb and the blood of the lamb. And so we've got some lamb there. I cooked it last night. Um, should, we, should we try it? Yeah. I mean, we came, right? Okay. Get ready. Get set. Go ahead. What do you think? Oh, is that good? I hate it. <laughs> Look, I can't swallow it hard enough. I don't. So, again, this is super important. Jesus has taken that critical element, that thing that has been holy and sacred to them, this lamb and the blood of this lamb was holy to them. It meant freedom to them, right? It meant redemption to them. It meant that they would be spared. It was a means of escape from judgment, and he said, yeah, but tonight there's a new covenant, and it's being confirmed. This covenant is confirmed with my blood. So let's take the cup. Say it with us again. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. Let's drink. That's it, no dessert. Thank you guys. Let's stand up. You can clap for them. Good job. So I think Jesus has taken this, 
this ancient tradition and this symbolic meal that had forever represented God redeeming his people and saving his people from slavery and from death in Egypt and to help them understand his death, it's like, it's like the story's the same, but the players are different. And see if you can follow this. Um, Matt, do you have that slide? In the original Passover, they celebrated how in the past, right, in the original version, through the lamb, God rescues the Israelites from slavery to Pharaoh. And Jesus keeps kind of the same plot line, but now he changes the players. And now it's through Jesus, God rescues the world. And it's from slavery to something way worse than Pharaoh to the powers of sin and death. And prior to this night, this 1400 years, this meal had always meant the same thing. It's always been about the past. It's always been about Yahweh keeping his promise and bringing justice against the injustice of Pharaoh and rescuing his people from slavery and, and bringing them into this new promised land and confirming that they're his people. But like tonight, Jesus says, the story changes. And Jesus doesn't tell them. He shows them through the illustration of this meal, I am the Passover lamb. And, and my sacrifice is your salvation. And my blood is your means of escape. And listen, not only from the punishment, not only for the justice against injustice, but this is your means of escape from justice for your own failure. Because I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't want justice for me. I want mercy. I don't want what I deserve. And no human does, because all of us have sinned. But when Jesus looks at humanity, he doesn't, he doesn't see good guys and bad guys. He doesn't see us and them. He doesn't see the ones that God is for and the ones that God is against. And this is why you see Jesus throughout the New Testament reaching out to these people on the fringes, right? This is why he's, he's reaching out to lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors and a Samaritan woman and Roman soldiers. He doesn't see us and them. He doesn't see good guys and bad guys. He sees all humans that he created in God's image and he sees their incredible potential and he loves them completely but he sees that we are enslaved to the darkness of this world. And I mean, look around, right? We, we have just hate and abuse everywhere and human trafficking and, and school shootings and suicide. You know, in Romans 1, Paul said, in the end days, these days, people will be thinking of new ways to sin. And I remember reading that my whole life and thinking, new ways to sin? I mean, we, surely we've thought of everything, you know, by now, and now people are using the internet to lure children into prostitution and then throwing them away like garbage. The world's a dark, dark place. And do you see this? We're like the Israelites in Egypt. We're, we're trapped in this horrible place. And we're stuck here with no way out of the darkness around us. And we're enslaved to the darkness inside of us. 
We're enslaved to the pride and the hate and the jealousy and the lust and the greed and the violence. That stuff owns us. We're enslaved to that. We're slaves to this world and we're slaves to sin and death inside of us. We're part of the problem because we contribute to the darkness of the world around us with our sin. And that sin, according to Romans 6, leads to death. It leads to eternal separation from God. So we don't just have to be rescued from the outside force. We have to be rescued from ourself. So Jesus says, yeah, Passover was about looking back to the past, to the saving power of the sacrifice of the body and blood of the lamb and how through the lamb their ancestors were able to like walk right out of slavery and into a place of freedom and promise. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we're not looking at the past. and We're not looking at our ancestors. We're looking at the present. And, and we're looking at us and how the body and blood of Jesus can save us now from our own sins and the death that they bring. And we look to the future when someday Jesus will come back and walk us out of the slavery and death of this world and into a place of freedom and promise where there's no more sin and there's no more hate and there's no more evil and there's no more death. And like them, we, we remember that hope and we celebrate that promise and we remind ourselves of that salvation and that freedom and that life through a symbolic little mini meal, right? And that we call the Lord's Supper and we call communion. And for us, it's, it's kind of like Passover um, because in this broken world of hate and pride and evil, when everything's crazy and everything's out of control, just like Passover did for them, it brings us back together, right, as God's people. It brings us back, like, around this table, and it centers us, and it reminds us of who our God is, and it reminds us of who we are in Him, and it reminds us of the life and the freedom that He gives us. And we don't have as many symbols as they do. We, we've boiled it down to just the bread, which represents the body of Jesus and the life that he sacrificed and the life that he gives us and the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus that saves us from death, just like the Passover lamb, right? We're saved from death when we're under the blood of the lamb. So now, let's open our cups and take off that first layer of cellophane. We're gonna grab that little piece of bread Luke twenty two nineteen, Jesus said, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples and he said this. This is my body. It's not given for your ancestors. It's given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And after supper, Jesus took another cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. 
And it's agreement that's confirmed, not with the blood of a lamb. It's an agreement that's confirmed with my blood. And it's poured out as a sacrifice, not for people 1,400 years ago. It's poured out for you. And there are several different interpretations of why we take four cups of wine in the Seder. And um, one of the oldest interpretations, and my favorite, is that these four cups represent four promises that God made to Israel in Exodus 6, and these apply perfectly to the new promises, to the new covenant that Jesus instituted with this meal for us. He promised them, I will free you from oppression. I will rescue you from slavery. I will redeem you through my strength. And I will be your God. And I will make you my people. Through the blood of Jesus, we're free. And we're saved. And we're redeemed. We're chosen as God's people. And sin and death have no power over us who are under the blood of Jesus. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of this world, who creates the fruit of the vine. Let's take the cup. Jesus, thank you Thank you for freeing us and thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for choosing us as your people. Jesus, I thank you because you came to give us new life and freedom just like you sent Moses to do for them. You came to rescue us and redeem us and free us from oppression and overcome the sin and death and darkness of this world and the sin and death and darkness that's inside every one of us. So thank you for your body. Thank you for the life that you gave us. Thank you for your blood that covers us, that, that saves us, that rescues us from death. In your name, amen. So this thing probably happened on Thursday night. And then late into that night, Jesus was arrested, went through some fake trials. And then very early Friday morning, he was whipped and beaten and mocked, spit on and tortured. And on Friday, he was killed by the people that he came to save. Saturday was quiet. The disciples were hiding out. They were scared. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if maybe they were next. They didn't know the resurrection power of Jesus. They didn't know Sunday was coming. 
but we do. And we're going to celebrate it Sunday, 10 o'clock at Ranger Stadium. So invite some friends, and we'll see you there. God bless you guys.